Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So we've been working our way through Leviticus, and uh, uh, we've gone, well, we're up to chapter 6. Last week we started uh, uh, first part of chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And Leviticus chapter 1 through chapter 6, verse 7, as we've discovered last few weeks, deals with the laws for the different types of offerings that God commanded the children of Israel to do. And as we went through them, we saw that Jesus is typified in the procedures of the offerings, even to some extent, or in many cases, the ingredients of the offerings, as we saw with the grain offering in, in particular. When we get to chapter 6, verses 8, and all the way through the rest of chapter 7, now we see the roles of the priests in the offerings, what their job was, how it affected them. And, uh, you know, Jesus is not only pictured in the uh, sacrifices that we saw and we t looked at last week them themselves. In fact, he's also pictured in the altar, and we'll talk to that when we get to that uh, particular chapter. But he's also seen in the priests officiating at the altar. And that's what we're looking at this morning, the role of the priests in the offerings. So beginning with verse 8 of chapter 6. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be, upon the, shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar. And he shall put them, uh, put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. And so if you can kind of picture in your mind what's taking place, there's this, there's this continual burning on this altar all day and all night. And it's the long, slow, uh, overnight burn of the burnt sacrifices just continuing to go. And, you know, it reminds me of, of uh, you know, for sometimes for you and I, it feels like our walk with the Lord is a long, slow, you just got to hang in there, you know, and, and, and it's just, it, you're just kind of moving along. And, and Paul obviously had those kind of feelings as well in his ministry. And, uh, you know, at that, towards the end of his life, Second Timothy, he finally can say, man, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I, I've, I've completed the course. And so for you this morning, maybe you're going through, you know, you're, you're serving the Lord, you're loving the Lord, but it's, it's just a long, slow process. You know, the, the walk of faith, it's not a sprint. You know, it's not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. And so if you're this morning and you're kind of like, man, I'm, I'm growing weary, I just pray that you would just, the Lord would just give you a renewed strength, you know, a renewed sense of vitality in him. And, you know, we, we, we serve by his power anyways. This is Holy Spirit. It's not us. And we try to do it, we can burn out so easily. And so it's the Holy Spirit empowering us. And so we can kind of see that pictured in here. We also see about the priests putting on linen garments. The linen garments, of course, would be white, and it's symbolic of holiness. We see that in Revelation, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 19. 
At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus returns uh, with the hosts of heaven, which, by the way, are you and I. In Revelation 19, verse 14, it says, The armies in heaven, clothed in fine, white, fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's you and I. And so we see a picture uh, of this white linen. In fact, in, in verse 8 of chapter 19, we're even told what the linen symbolizes. It says, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So when we see these priests wearing the white linen as they're, as they're dealing with the ashes and they're dealing with the, the burnt offerings here, it's a picture of righteousness is what it is. Our high priest, Jesus, in Hebrews 7 verse 26 and 27, it says, For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And he has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, was sinless. Notice the change of garments in order to bring the ashes outside the camp. Now, bringing the ashes, and we talked about it this the other week, but bringing the ashes outside the camp, it's a solemn reminder to the priests, to the children of Israel, and to us as we look at it, that sin causes separation. You know, ministering before the Lord in the tabernacle, it must have been uh, just a joyful time for the priests. You know, the presence of the Lord's here, and they're serving, and, 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 but then they're having to take these ashes outside the camp and you can imagine just the sadness in seeing the just the the the, uh, the effects of sin in the lives of people all these animals being sacrificed for people's sins and so there's a sadness as they're going outside the camp the changing the garments itself you know i mentioned earlier linen's a picture of of holiness and sanctification in the, uh, in the presence of the Lord. But then the priests are told, as you leave the tabernacle, you've got to change your clothes. Uh, and they take the ashes outside of the camp. Now, it doesn't mean that they go and put on their old coveralls, you know, their street clothes or their old work clothes. They still had priestly garments to wear, but it wasn't the white linen ones that were specifically for in the presence of a holy God. You know, when you and I, when we're together, and maybe you've experienced this, you've gone to a church retreat or, uh, you know, a conference or something or a woman's thing, you know, and you, it's like, man, that joy and that you just feel so close to the Lord when you're with other brothers and sisters and growing and you're hearing a word from the Lord and you're just like, you're, just like you're on a mountaintop experience. And you guys know that experience. The next, next, the next day or maybe even that same day, you got to go down from the valley or go down from the mountain, so to speak. You're back into your own normal routine, your family, your coworkers, and, and you're kind of back in the world, so to speak. The fact that we leave that presence of the Lord doesn't change that you and I are still a royal priesthood. We're still a holy nation. And so we're still clothed in our priestly garments, and we're still on the king's business when we leave. And so for the priests, like I said, they're not putting on dirty work clothes because they've got to carry ashes. They're still wearing their priestly garments as they're going out. And so it's a reminder as they're going out there, hey, I'm still on the king's business. And it's the same with for you and I. It says here that the ashes were carried out to a clean, undefiled place outside the camp. So that place wasn't like the local dump. It was a place that was undefiled and it only had the ashes of the sacrifices. And in a sense, 
we see a picture of Christ's burial in that because his body was wrapped in linen clothes and placed in a clean, undefiled, unused tomb. They didn't place Jesus' body in a tomb that was already desecrated, you know, that was unclean because there was a dead body. It was an unused uh, tomb. And so we kind of see a picture of that, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They're told here also in this passage that we just read that the priests are to put daily wood on the fire, keep that fire burning, and then they lay the, the, order, the pieces of the sacrifice on that wood. I don't know about you, but whenever I read about wood in the Old Testament, I always think about the cross. I always think about the cross. You know that daily putting on the wood on the fire to keep the fire on the altar burning and blazing it reminds me of what Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to you and I. In Luke chapter 9, 23, he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We're to daily apply the cross. We're to, we're to be carrying the cross in all of our circumstances. And here they're told the fire of the burnt offering shall never go out. And you know, we think about the priesthood, what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross it's perpetual. You know, I, I, when we have communion, last week we had communion, and I said, you know, we sing that old hymn, there's power in the blood, and after 2,000 plus years, there's still power in the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive sins. It's because his sacrifice was once and for all. In fact, Hebrews 27, verse 25, excuse me, it says, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So that fire is constantly burning. You know, for you and I, as we serve Jesus Christ, our fire, we should have that zeal for the Lord burning constantly in our hearts as well. Well, let's move on here to the, to the law, excuse me, the law of the grain offering, verse 14. This is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of it Aaron and his son shall eat. With unleavened bread it shall be eaten in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy. Like the sin offering and the trespass offering, all the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed. One-tenth of an ephah of fine flour is a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it in. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It is a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. So the grain offering, what's the priest's role? Well, a portion of the grain offering, the priest would take a memorial portion and he would burn it before the Lord. It was the Lord's. It was to be consumed on the fire. The rest of that grain offering was for the male priest's to eat who were serving in the tabernacle. This was how God provided 
for the material necessities of the priests. You know, uh, they were dedicated to serving the Lord in the temple. That was their focus. And in Numbers chapter 18, the Lord kind of addresses it in chapter 18, verses 20 to 21. It says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land. Aaron is the, uh, the, 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 the first Levite, so to speak. He's, the, he's a descendant of Levite. He's the first high priest. All his descendants after them would be priests. He says, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Behold, I have given the children of, of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So it was God's way to provide for them because they weren't out farming and cultivating. They were just serving the Lord. And so the Lord was providing for them as they were serving. You know, in Peter's letter, he says, you and I, he says, you know, he calls you and I a holy nation and a royal priesthood. We're a priesthood. We're in the king's business, like I mentioned earlier in this life. You know, let the world seek after gain. They seek after gain, don't they? The world seeks after status. They seek after power, wealth, materials. The world strives after their portion. But for you and I, saint, we're priests of the most high king. We're on the king's business. Jesus Christ is your and my portion as well. And listen, God could have anything that he wants in the universe, right? He created it all. It all belongs to him. But you know what God is satisfied with? In Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, it says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a place of his inheritance. God could have anything in the world, but he wants you, and he wants me. Interesting, when Jesus was uh, on earth ministering before his crucifixion, he's our high priest, of course, and he said to those around him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And the Father's will was Jesus' portion. That's all, that's all that he wanted to do. That's all he was focused on. I just want to do what the Lord's will is. So these other offerings, like the meat of the peace offerings, uh, they were for the sons and daughters of Aaron. So it wasn't just the males that just got to eat. Nobody else got to eat of the, of the Levites. But this one in particular, only the males among the priests could eat of it. And they'd only eat it in a holy place. Uh, one of the grain offerings, as he mentions there in verse 23, was for the consecration of the high priest. And that would not be eaten by the priest. That would be wholly burned on the altar as well. You know, Apostle Paul refers back to this whole principle in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 through 14. He says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord Jesus has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So Paul uses that principle for those that are in ministry, those who are serving the Lord. The Lord's going to take care of them. The Lord's going to provide for them. Well, let's move on here. Verse 24. Also the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. 
In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be, both be scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat, of it, may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burnt in the fire. So what's going on in this passage here? The priests... They're ministering, they're, they're, they're killing the sacrifices, they're, they're draining the blood, you know, they're doing all this work in the tabernacle there by the altar. And if by accident blood sprays on their garments, the, the blood of the sacrifice, it, it, it's a bloody job what they're doing. And if some blood accidentally gets on their garments, the stain of that blood's got to be dealt with. And so they were to take that garment and they were, they were to clean it. Well, how did they clean it? In those days, they would boil it in water. And so they would take a pot and, and boil it in this pot to, to, to get the blood out. Well, if the vessel, you know, the, the vessel that, it's, that is being boiled in, if it was an earthen vessel, in other words, pottery, you know, pottery's poor, especially if it's unglazed. There's that possibility or the reality that some of that blood or blood molecules or whatever, it would absorb into the pottery. So now the pottery that it was boiled in, now it's unclean. It's, it was used for a holy purpose. Now it can't be used for anything holy. So the Lord says it's got to be broken. When I talk about earthen vessels, doesn't it make you think of something? I do. It thinks about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Well, I think of that in the New Testament concept, that earthen vessels is you and I, brother and sister. We're clay pots. We have the power of God dwelling in us, but we're just clay pots. Simple clay pots. I'm a mug, by the way. <laughs> Some of you, the, the women are like fine china. Us guys are just, we're mugs. But uh, hey, that's okay. We get banged around and we're still, we're still faithful. We can still hold a cup, you know. <laughs> Is there any significance of breaking the earthen vessel? I thought of this, Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. You know, we're earthen pots, but we're to be broken too. We're to be broken in humility. When sin affects our lives, we're to humbly repent of it. Second Corinthians 7 verse 10, Paul says this, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be, regret, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You know, as we go through our lives, we're stained by sin. We, we do things, but godly sorrow, that godly brokenness produces repentance, which leads to salvation. And that's what we need to be. We need to be constantly in, this, in that state of just being broken before the Lord. Now, we're also told if the vessel that they boiled the stained clothes in was made of bronze, it's not as porous. And so it's not as likely to observe to absorb that that uh, the blood molecule, so to speak. But it still needed to be scoured and cleansed with water. And then again, I go, I think of the New Testament, Ephesians five verses twenty-five and twenty-six. Husbands, 
love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now that, that's specifically spoken to men. Husbands were to wash our wives with the, with the word of God. But, but that whole concept of being washed with the word, how does the word wash you and I? Well, I know for me, when I'm reading God's word, I'm spending time reading it. Man, sometimes I read something, man, I get so convicted because I look at my own life, I go, man, I don't match up to what I'm reading. Or sometimes I'm, I'm on some path and I'm, I'm also reading and then it's like the Lord's correcting me. Don't, don't go that way. This is the way you should go. Or sometimes I'm just being instructed in the things of the Lord. You know, it's important for you and I to be daily reading God's word. And, and, you know, sometimes we read it and we go, man, that really applies to somebody else. I wish they would read this passage. But we need to internalize it for us. Hey, I'm guilty of doing that. I'm like, man, yeah, Teresa really needs to read this. <laughs> she probably does the same for me, too. But it's important for you and I to internalize and apply it to ourselves. And that's how we get washed with the word. Well, let's move on here to chapter 7. Anyone's stomach growling yet? Hopefully not. Chapter 7, verse 1. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its bloody shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most Holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. Last week we talked about the trespass and the guilt offering. In those days, you'll notice that he says that the, the fat was to be burned on the altar. And in those days, the fat was considered the best part of the animal. I still like pork rinds, by the way. They wouldn't, pork wouldn't have been on the altar, but... Um, but fat was considered the best part of the animal. The best part was reserved for the Lord. And like the other offerings, except for the burnt offering, that's a different one, the priests were fed with the meat of the sacrifices. Verse 8, And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. And so the, the rest of that animal, the burnt offering, we talked about that in, uh, I think it was week one, uh, or chapter one when we were in Leviticus. The, the burnt offering was wholly consumed on the altar, except for the hide. And the hide was kept, it was given to the priests. It was probably another way that God provided for them for clothing, uh, for their tent material, uh, th things like that. God was providing even through that. Verse 9. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priests who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thank sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread, 
with the sacrifice and thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. Again, we talked about all these in previous chapters. Leaven, the, the, the bread that was a part of the grain offering that was offered to the Lord, it was to be made of unleavened grain. So leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. And so they were to only have unleavened bread because it, the, that, what they were offering to the Lord was to be without sin. And yet, and this is only with a peace offering, it's very unique, with the peace offering, the priest was to eat their pre, the, the meal with leavened bread. And you go, man, that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Remember the purpose and the significance of the peace offering? It was for fellowship. The peace offering was, it was, it was a picture how, you know, every, the, the priest eats of the, of the meat. Uh, some of it's offered on the altar, so the Lord's partaking of it. And then the offerers who himself would eat the, the meat, him and his family. And so it was, shows the, it was a picture of God's fellowship with his people. God has called you and I into fellowship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, in order to even have the peace offering, we have to deal with sin, right? You have to deal with sin, uh, the sin issue, before we can have peace with God. You can't have peace with God unless you have a relationship with him. Unless you've repented of your sins and put your trust in him, there is no peace with God. But once you and I have had that, now we have that opportunity to have fellowship with God. But guess what? I'm still a sinner by nature. I still sin. And from time to time, I commit sin. But God still desires fellowship with you and I. Now, we do need to deal with the sin as the Holy Spirit convicts us. We need to deal with it. But the problem is some people, it's like, oh, man, I sinned today. I, I can't read my Bible. Or I sinned today. I, man, I can't go to church. Or, you know, I, I, and we get out of fellowship. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do, is to get out of fellowship. His tactic is to keep you feeling guilty and shameful uh, and, and to keep you feeling terrible and out of fellowship because he tries to keep you and I discouraged um, and impotent as a witness for Christ because we feel so terrible about how we've blown it or whatever. When we sin, that's exactly when we need fellowship. That's exactly when we need, you know, this place is not a place where you have to have your act together. I don't know if you know that. You don't have to come here and have a, have a smile on your face. Yeah, everything's good. You know, that plastic, we used to call it the plastic smile. You don't have to wear a plastic smile. You don't have to pretend like your life's all together when you're here. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're earthen vessels. We can relate to one another, and that's what the church is. It's a place where we come together and we encourage one another and, and pray for one another and lift up one another. Don't stay away from fellowship. And I think that's a little picture that we see here with this leavened bread. Verse 15, the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. Again, remember the, the peace offering. The whole purpose, it's, a, it's fellowship. It's a picture of fellowship. And there's a set time for fellowship with God. And you know what that time is? 
It's now. It's right now. Now's the time for fellowship. Now, you and I, we might miss a day of fellowship. Uh, Therese and I had to go up to the cities on uh, uh, Saturday morning, got up super early in the morning to drive up there to get up there by, I don't know, 8, 8.30 or so. So we had to take off. And, you know, uh, I didn't get up at 4 in the morning and start reading my Bible and having that fellowship with the Lord. I'll be honest with you, I didn't. And so yesterday was like it was a different day. But today's a new day. You know, and God doesn't like, okay, you didn't read your Bible today, you're out of here. Man, wouldn't that be terrible if he did that? He doesn't do that. We're not into legalism here. But you and I, we might miss a day of fellowship here or a day, or a day there, but don't neglect fellowship more than that. I just want to encourage you, don't neglect more than that. Your fellowship needs to stay fresh and new, not stale and moldy. You know, you might think, well, you know, I had some great fellowship with the Lord last week, man. Man, last week my devotions were awesome. That's great. That's cool. <laughs> what about today? What about this week? What's the Lord telling you this week? What's going on in your life now? You know, remember the grain offering? When we went through that, grain offering, was it was a picture of the daily dependence upon God, right? For not only for his physical provisions, because you were offering the grain that, you know, at the harvest, you're offering the grain to, back to the Lord, but also spiritual provision. And your and my goal as Christians, I hope it is your goal, I know it's my goal, is to be more like Christ, right? We want to be Christ-like. Well, listen, Jesus, who we're trying to be like, was in constant fellowship with the Father throughout his ministry. Not anything... He didn't do anything except for what the Father told him. Well, how could he know what the Father told him if he wasn't in daily fellowship? It's so important. Listen, did you forget to eat breakfast this morning? Any of you forget to eat breakfast? I did, man. I, I've, I don't think I ever forget to eat breakfast. Sometimes I forget lunch, but I never forget breakfast. Man, mornings, I'm a breakfast guy. I love food in the morning. But you know what? I can go a day without breakfast. I've done it before. It's, you know, I'm usually not in a good mood. I'm kind of grouchy and stuff. But, but uh, I can go for a day, but I can't go for very long without food. And, you know, sometimes spiritually, I don't know what it is, but somehow spiritually it seems like, well, we can go a week without eating that spiritual food, being in the presence of the Lord and fellowship, reading his word. It's so important for us. Keep stressing it over and over and over again. Jesus, at one point, he said, my food is to do God's will. And my daily goal is the Lord's will. Well, how do you know what his daily will is if you're not in fellowship with him daily? So uh, just, just an encouragement. Not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but an encouragement. Maybe, you, maybe your fellowship is a little bit stale with the Lord. Today is a day. Have a fresh time with him. Verse 18. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire, and as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. 
but the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches an unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or, or an unclean abominable, abominable unclean thing, excuse me, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. So now we're talking about clean and unclean. It's interesting, if you read the prophet Haggai, the Lord speaking through Haggai asks a question of the priests. And the question goes like this. It's in Haggai 2, verse 12. So they're asking the priests. The priests know all this from Leviticus. They've read it. They've had it for years. And he says, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, so he's got clean meat that's being offered to the Lord, and he's got it in his garment, but with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? So he's got this holy meat, and he's, and he's bringing in, if it touches something else accidentally, does that thing that it touched become holy? And the priests go, huh, no. And they're right, it doesn't, because that's the Levitical law. But then Haggai poses just the opposite question. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? And so the priests answer and said, It shall be unclean. So if someone who is ceremonially unclean, we're not talking about dirty, you know, dirty hands, but ceremonially unclean touches the piece of meat that was set apart for the Lord, does the meat become uh, ceremonially contaminated? And the answer is yes, it does. It's been affected. You see, the point is that Haggai was coming across and what Jesus is, or what the Lord is trying to, to uh, uh, get across to the children of Israel is holiness isn't passed on by coming into contact with something holy. You know, just going to church, just going to a Bible study or hanging around other Christians doesn't make you a Christian. You have to have your own relationship with Jesus. But on the flip side, on the flip side of that, if you're a Christian and you hang around sin, it will corrupt you, it will contaminate you, it will have a negative impact on you. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, it doesn't mean we are totally isolated. We can't be around anybody who's sinners. We can't do anything. You know, we're in the world. Let's face it, you're in the world. But we're not to be of the world. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let the world contaminate you. But we're in the world. We deal with the world. So a person who was unclean could not participate in the fellowship meal and yet, I said earlier that, remember I talked about the leavened bread with eating the peace offering? It pointed to the fact that we're not to stay away because of sin. Listen, we're not to stay away because of sin, but we're also not to stay in unrepentant sin. We need to deal with sin in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and, and uh, it's, it's where Paul is, is uh, talking about communion. And, and quite often when we have communion here at Calvary Chapel, I'll, I'll read it that passage of scripture, but I don't read this verse necessarily. 1 Corinthians 11 verses 28 and 29, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And sometimes people take that and go, okay, uh, I, I, and however you want to define eating in an unworthy manner, people have different definitions of that, but whatever it is, you go, man, 
I can't partake of Holy Communion, so I'm staying away from the communion table because it's, it's unworthy. That's not what God's point is. That's not what Paul's point was. Paul's point was not to prohibit people from the Lord's table. The, the point is to deal with sin and then come. And that's the whole point, and I think, in what these verses are talking about, verses 18 to 21. It's to not keep people from the peace offering. It's to make sure that they're dealing with those things that make them unclean and then come. God wants fellowship with you and I. Don't let the enemies tell you, man, you got to stay away because I'm, I'm not perfect. I've blown it. I've sinned. Don't let him make you stay away. I always think of Wild Kingdom. Remember Wild Kingdom with the uh, Mutual of Omaha? It's funny. When my when uh, my oldest son was just a little, little guy and uh, he's uh, I, we were talking about beer or something and he said, uh, he goes, just like, I don't know, I, I don't remember the conversation, but I remember what he said. He goes, uh, we were talking about alcohol, and he said, he goes, oh, you mean it's like that television show on, you know, with the animals? I said, television show with the animals? Alcohol, television? He goes, yeah, you know that show? And he was a mutual of Omaha, but he thought it was a mutual of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he cracked me up. Kids say the darndest things sometimes. Um, where am I at with that? What's that? I, I couldn't hear you. Never mind. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, I don't. Oh, uh, uh, I remember now. Mutual of Omaha. Okay, the animals, you know. Uh, poor Jim Fowler. You know, he's go there going, look at Jim Fowler wrestling with the orangutans. Oh, careful, Jim. You know, he's getting flip-flopped all over by these big animals and stuff. Um, anyways, the whole point behind that, if you watch that show, how often does the predator go after the It's usually the little animal that's straggling behind the herd. They're the ones that get nailed, and, of course, they're filming it, you know, watching it and stuff. But that's how the enemy works. He wants to get you isolated from fellowship because then you're an easy target. You're not being encouraged. You're not having somebody lifting you up in prayer. You're not being real with the people around you. And the enemy's just, he's got you where he wants you. He wants to get you that way. So just encourage you. You don't have to be perfect to come to Calvary Chapel. Look at me. <laughs> just come. Be in fellowship with the Lord. Now, you still have to deal with sin, but you don't have to stay away. Don't stay away because of sin come anyways. Verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, you shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat and the fat of an animal that dies naturally and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. Whoever eats the fat of the animal of which uh, men may offer, oh, or excuse me, of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hand shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. 
For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, and I have given them to Aaron and the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. This is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. Again, we, have the, we see the prohibition against eating fat of the sacrifice. Again, the, the fat was considered the best part, belonged to the Lord, and the prohibition against drinking blood or eating blood. But then we have something interesting in here, the, 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 the heave offering and the wave offering. What, what's that all about? The waving of the parts of the victim of the sacrificial animal, of course, consisted in the priest placing his hands beneath those of the offerer who held the piece to be waved and then moving them slowly backward and forward before the Lord and to, to and from the altar. You think about the priest. When we were in Exodus, when we were talking about the priest garment, we'll be looking at it again in Leviticus. But the priest wore a breastplate. And it had all these 12 stones on it, beautiful stones of the ephod. It was to remind him, or the breastplate was to remind him uh, of the children of Israel. Each stone was representative of one of the tribes of the children of Israel. And it was placed over his chest. And so as the priest is going in to minister before the Lord, he's carrying the children of Israel, so to speak, on his, on his heart. Th that's the picture. And I think this, this wave offering is the same thing. You know, the breast meat would be over the heart of the animal. And I think it was to remind the priest to have compassion and love for God's people. That's one thing we need to be as priests. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, right? We're to have compassion on people. We're to be merciful. Our high priest is a merciful high priest. Isaiah 42, verse 3, that's a messianic passage. This is a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. That's such an important, I, that first part of that verse, just to let that just settle into your heart. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. Sometimes people come to you, and they're, they're just at the end of their, you know, they're just, they're just barely hanging on. Their flame is just, it's just flickering really low. And the last thing they need is for someone to sit there and go, ah, you're just a rotten sinner. Get out of here. I don't have anything to do with you. We need to have compassion on people. Jesus was compassionate with you and I. We're all sinners. Jesus is compassionate with us. We need to be compassionate on those around us. If we want to be Christ-like, Christ our high priest, a bruised reed he won't break, and smoking flax he will not quench. What about the heave offering? The heaving was performed, now that's not like heaving, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I always think, of, that's how my mind works when I read these things. Okay, the heaving was performed by slowly lifting the pieces upward and downward. So you had this other motion and then you have this upward motion, the heave offering. These movements signified that the pieces, though not burned on the altar, were specially consecrated to God's service. And, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, okay, the breast plate or the breast meat was over the heart. What's the thigh have to do with it? Well, you know, I would think, and I could be wrong, but I think the breast, especially if you're doing a bowl, can you imagine lifting a bowl thigh? I've never done that before, but it's got to be pretty heavy. 
I'm imagining. Even even a, 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 a leg of lamb is more heavier than the breast of lamb. I'm guessing. I don't know. I could be wrong. But uh, I think the fact that it was considerably heavier, heavier and he's lifting it up and down, I think is to remind the priest to bear the burden of God's people. Our high priest, Isaiah 53, verse 4, he bore our burdens. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Man, are we carrying one another's burdens? Are we, are we praying for one another? You know, you come in here in the fellowship. Again, we're not looking for people that have it all together. But we want to minister to people. And so you look around, and if you see someone that's sad, or you see someone that, you know what, I just sense there's something going on. Man, go to them. Bear their burdens. Pray with them. Encourage them. Spend time with them. Encourage you to do that. Well, let's finish up chapter 7, verse 36. I didn't go over yet, by the way. <laughs> Verse 36, The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecration, consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So we've just looked at the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the guilt and the trespass offerings. You know, if we look at the life and the ministry of our Savior, of course, a picture emerges in the sequence even of these offerings. We looked at the burnt offering first and foremost. That, that's a picture of wholly dedicating oneself to the Lord. And when Jesus started his ministry, what's the first thing he did? He was baptized, completely identifying and, and, and just, just completely wholly devoting his, the rest of his life, just wholly devoted to the Lord and to his ministry. It started at his baptism. The next three years of his life was just totally serving God's will. Remember he said, my, the, my food is to, eat, is to do God's will. Then the next one in the sequence is the grain offering. And it's, I mentioned before, it's a recognition of daily dependence upon the Lord. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Jesus just depended on the Lord for everything, on, on the father, I should say. We even talked about how Jesus was pictured in the ingredients, right? We talked about the fact that the, the grain offering had to be sifted, pure white flour, and if you think about it, right after Christ's baptism, man, he was sifted. He went out into the, into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. But guess what? He emerged pure. He didn't give in to those temptations. He emerged sinless, just like that pure, fine flour, the grain offering. And then we have the peace offering. Peace offering, again, was fellowship with God. And if you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus spent much time in prayer with the Father. He was always praying with the Father. Sometimes the disciples, you know, they were, they were eating and sleeping and working and walking with him, you know, 24-7. They would get up in the morning and say, oh, man, it's kind of early. Hey, where's Jesus? And he'd be off praying somewhere, praying with the Father, constantly in fellowship with him. 
and then the sin, the guilt, and the trespass offerings. As far as the sequence, uh, you know, Jesus, the Bible says, who knew no sin became sin for us when he died on the cross. He paid the price for our sin nature, which your sin offering points to. Uh, his blood washes away our trespasses, our guilt, and our shame. He does it all at the cross. It was all completed then. But it's interesting, if you start with the most current offering that we were talking about and working your way backward, I think a picture emerges for you and I. You know, a person experiences guilt because they've trespassed against the Lord, and maybe they've even sinned against someone else. They've trespassed against someone else, and we see the picture of the guilt and the trespass offerings. A person then reaches the point where they realize not only have they sinned, but it's like, man, I'm a, I'm a sinner at the core. I'm a sinner by nature. There's nothing I can do to deliver myself. And so then they confess their sins and they put their trust in the finished work of Christ on the, on the cross. That's a picture of the sin offering. And it's only after their sin is dealt with that they can have peace with God through Jesus Christ and have fellowship with him. And so then we see the peace offering. We're working backwards in Leviticus there. Then as a new life begins as a, as a new believer, and you guys know this, man, all of a sudden there's that refining process. The process to become more Christ-like, right? That sanctification. The Holy Spirit's working in us, sanctifying us. He's sifting us. We're being refined. It's a realization that we have to daily rely on the Lord, not only for his physical material provisions, but daily. Man, I need, I need the Holy Spirit every day. Just like we sang in that last song, the worship said, oh, how I need you. Man, I need you all the time. There's that recognition. We see that in the grain offering. And then the last one's the burn offering. A believer reaches a point where they're tired of being a man-pleaser. Man, I don't want to be a fence-sitter anymore. I don't want to be a casual Christian. And they surrender themselves to Christ wholly and without reservation. That's a picture of the, the, the burnt offering. So let me ask you this morning, where are you in that process? That's rhetorical. You don't have to answer me, but where are you in that process? Why don't you stand up? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. <clears throat> we thank you for the pictures that emerged out of this passage of scripture that we looked at. And Lord, as we've gone through this and, and uh, hopefully your spirits encouraged us and, and shown us things, Lord, I pray that we would apply these truths in our own lives. Lord, maybe we need more fellowship with you. Lord, maybe there's sin issues we need to deal with. Lord, maybe we need to be more compassionate to people around us instead of judgmental and condemning. Maybe we need to be more like you in that regard. Or, or Lord, we just need to spend more time in fellowship with you. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, as we've, as your spirit has maybe pricked our hearts, Lord, that we would respond and not leave here without having, uh, not having allowed the word to transform us. And so I pray for that, that work that your spirit is doing in each one of our hearts and our lives, Lord, that we would become more like you because we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Lord, we are on your business, the king's business. And so, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you would be our portion. Lord, you would be our inheritance. And so we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.